0: And we're live with our 234th episode of Absolute AbSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on social media, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on social media. And in real life, Seth, say hi.
1: (laughs) Hey, everyone. Ah, crap. Now I need to change it up. You know, I dox myself every time I go online. That sucks, man. Anyway, (laughs) welcome back to another episode Excited to be here. There's been a bunch going on. Um, there's a lot to talk about, obviously. Slack channel is popping. Um, before we get into it, though, uh, there's a couple of announcements. First up, this week on Friday, there will be a an appy hour at uh, CactusCon. Uh, both Ken and I will be there. Um, it will be sponsored by Redpoint, Dry Run, and Impart Security, who is also today our um, sponsor of the podcast. Uh, So in part, did you know that 41% of organizations have recently experienced an API security incident? Despite this, API security continues to be deprioritized. Why? Reasons include security teams not having an easy way to take inventory of all their APIs, challenges involved with continuous API monitoring and testing, and lack of flexible firewall rules to enforce API security. With Impart Security's API security platform, security teams can finally have effective and pro-code-friendly runtime protection that helps to proactively analyze, mitigate, and respond to ongoing API threats. Check out impart.security for more info, or if you're going to CactusCon 2024 in Arizona, you can meet Impart's co-founder and CPO, Brian Joe, at our sponsored Absolute AppSec Appy Hour, held this Friday the 16th. Reach out to us to get the invite. Um, so you can reach out to impart to me or Ken on Slack or on any of the social medias and get an invite for, if you're going to be at CactusCon or if you're in the Phoenix area, you don't have to be a CactusCon attendee to come to the happy hour. Um, yeah. So thanks to impart for sponsoring today and for sponsoring the happy hour, being a part of the absolute absolute community. Um, Otherwise, uh, we'll, we'll get to trainings later um, as far as the training opportunities that are up and coming. Um, yeah, Ken, anything else you wanted to highlight before we jump into some of these topics today?
0: Uh, no, but Brian was on the podcast before, uh, so you can check out his episode. I don't remember the number, but uh, yeah, Brian Joe uh, was on the podcast, so um, you can yeah. look that up on
1: YouTube. Brian was on episode 213. So if you want to check out Brian, check out Impart Security or have questions, they are in our Slack channel as well. Um, Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Where should we go from here? The first article today that I wanted to discuss, all things considered, um, was actually um, some analysis that Layers did on passwords. Um, And it just came out a couple of days ago. Let me drop it in here. Um, password analysis. This is mostly from uh, password cracking rigs that they have, engagements that they do, red team engagements where they get password hashes, or they're doing password analysis um, for a you know for a specific corporate for a specific engagement. Um, but it, I, it it highlights the. The human nature of choosing passwords, I guess, is all I can say. I mean, Ken, did you get through this article?
0: I did not. No, I apologize. I been, Actually, because I spent so much time on the uh, the other one, the the 21-page PD, PDF. I did not get to this one yet. Okay. Um, yep. Yep. That's yeah, fine.
1: Yeah. That's fine. So, uh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I'm showing the, the screen here, like, from their blog post. Go check it out um right the interesting thing here was their findings right like this idea of password reuse lar- large number of repeat passwords i don't think any of this is shocking to anyone that's in the industry but it's interesting to see the numbers behind it right um to see the actual like statistical analysis of like these ntlm um hashes that they have um that they have obtained over the last couple of years right cuz we're only talking 186000 hashes um, and most of those were you know unique where you know 31,000 were, were cracked and so the analysis is not as much as say some of the you know um, analysis that you can run around, around the large data sets like the large breach data sets but what I would find as well or what I would like go to here is that this is more like corporate setting right Uh most of the, most of the breach data that's out there it's a lot of consumer password behavior. This is more what we're, what we see in a corporation, in a company, uh, like people that are supposed to be professionals, what they choose as their corporate passwords, as their logins. Um, And we still run into these same things, like the password reuse, common weak passwords. Um, And then there's, there's industry patterns that start to emerge that are fairly, you know, that are fairly interesting as well, or telling as well. You know so they step through okay this is their setup you can go run the same you know sorts of analysis if you have a number of password hashes um of course right like summer winter spring fall autumn you know okay there's like it's it's a statistically not insignificant amount that have the season attached with it right like so when do they, you at last reset your password we've always talked about this from a password you know bad password policy perspective um, especially when we're resetting passwords for people Um, average length shortest you know okay avr obviously that's going to be correct really quickly medium password length um, out of those thirty-one thousand that were cracked top 10 passwords Um, like i was trying to figure out where this two blue 2022 came from i don't know if you have any indicators there uh, can you know some of those are fairly obvious like your purdy or you know it's probably sports, sports ball
0: related some team uh team
1: blue yeah it could be right 2022 did some blue team win something in 2022 um, <laughs> yeah um two blue meaning i'm looking it up now cuz that's how <laughs> i know. Uh, oh, i don't know doesn't have anything here okay maybe it's cuz they were sad 2022 <laughs> i don't know um yeah yeah. but i i mean you know I, I don't know if there's too much to say on this article the one thing that i did find interesting as far as the patterns go right the industry patterns um you know you you can peruse this and we can talk about it in the slack channel like interesting passwords you know greater than less than green inks and ham right those are yeah they're funny um okay this this statement right here that's on the screen right um Instances were noted where users with multiple accounts, especially those with privileged access, so your administrators, um, whatever else, right? Reused passwords across different organizations, um, which means that they're carrying their poor password practices from organization to organization and the same weak passwords. So, like, this is like this all goes to credential stuffing. Uh, the breach password databases the you know, those attacks that are going on. This is concerning to me from a, you know, just from an overall like password security perspective and breach perspective, um, this ability or this behavior that we're seeing in trusted individuals. And I like, I I don't know if you've necessarily seen something like this or thought about it before, Ken, like, like, what are your feelings when it comes to that?
0: the idea is that yeah just, just to clarify the idea is that like maybe we've got some uh folks with because it says elevated access so maybe like some system admins who reuse mm-hmm. even when changing organizations reuse yeah. or is it just using the past so weak passwords versus reusing an act but it wouldn't surprise me if there was a re- uh, reuse of passwords just because like uh yeah i mean you know you get your your favorite little password and mm-hmm. And reuse it. Um requery. Plus also like, you know, actually, I wonder if you don't know use uh, why well, I hate. I I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna table that thought because I would I would like to think that a system admin wouldn't use like the same fleet wide default weak password for systems and then with the intent of changing them later. I don't know, it's just a random thought I had. But I'm going to guess that's what it means, right? Like system admins, network admins, people with domain admins, whoever, people with elevated access, re, like carrying forward their bad password habits. But also the question for me too there is like, are these the same people setting the, the
1: password standards on things? Um, the, yeah, they could be. I mean, we don't have a lot of info on who it actually is outside of, I mean, when they say administrators in this case, right, it's probably someone that has administrative access on the boxes, right? Like NTLM, like they're doing a dump of hashes on Windows systems, right? Um, So they can see who is a Windows, like a domain administrator or a local admin on these boxes. And they're seeing a shared password like show up maybe with the same username on org one and org two. Um, not necessarily that it was cracked. In some cases, it looks like it was, but not necessarily as cracked, but it's being reused, right? So, you know, correct horse battery staple, right? Like you're taking yeah. the XKCD password, used it at organization one, you got a new job as a domain admin at org two, and you pop that in as your password because it's never never been used there before and it hasn't been reset, right? Um, so, I, I mean, part of me... I, I understand, right? Like, because it, it is human nature to do this. Um, and, like, the use of password managers, especially for logins, right? Like, so Windows logins and, uh, like, account logins is difficult because your password manager is not unlocked when you're logging into the system, like your main core system. Um, and so I, I think that's where we run into it. And we're, we're going to continue to run into this problem. I, I just... I don't see it necessarily going away. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I like I, I just thought it was an interesting analysis. I don't think there's any like really, you know, hardcore things we need to run into it or ne- you know, need to talk about when it comes to, comes to it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, I any think- other shots? Yeah. Uh-
0: they kind of just finish out with you know it's the same thing we always say, which is like, "Yeah, use multi-factor auth. I did see on Twitter that yesterday, yesterday somebody had written, "Gosh, if I wish I'd actually say this." Um, maybe it's under my liked tweets or something. But I, I, someone was actually, let's see here, maybe I can find it. Yeah, cause someone wrote that they. Are continually surprised that people are surprised that you can, uh, that MFA can be broken. And I can't find the tweet. Um, if I do, I'll post it. But yeah, it's none under my likes. I don't know if I'm, maybe I retweeted it or. Oh, actually, you know what? Actually, you know what's better than that? Uh, this just, I'm glad this actually, I'm um, going through these tweets because on the note of passwords, if you want a little comic relief, uh I forgot about that. Um so Andrew Wilson uh retweeted this and Andrew Wilson is one of the uh the, the folks responsible for CactusCon. Um actually his wife is the main organizer of CactusCon. Uh in any case, he retweeted this tweet. It was about the Super Bowl so, and uh let me put this um into and if I don't know if you want to pull it up on your screen, since you. I'll put the other one in Slack, or I'll put the the link also in Slack. If you want to pull this up and just share it on your screen, Seth. Um, while I okay. do that, because it's kind of funny. If you want to zoom in on the image there, um, I've done no validation of any of this, but uh, it does appear that it was a, a, a. They they zoomed in on the the command and control center of the Super Bowl, and like all good um hilarious moments of when you do that uh can you imagine what we're gonna see here
1: <laughs> go ahead and hey! zoom in on that left
0: side <laughs> bottom left side <laughs> so. it's
1: amazing yes <laughs> new password <laughs> wi-fi access yes welcome here great Great, that's amazing. Yes, uh, oh man. So for those Dang that are it. listening
0: and don't have the video up, what what we're seeing is we see uh, two people very concerned about some what looks like CCTV videos on browser tabs. Um, mm-hmm. But on the very left-hand, left hand bottom of side of the screen, there's like their uh, their Wi-Fi SSID, their okay. their password, and all that. Mm-hmm. Obviously you know, whatever. It's, it's more funny than anything else, but yeah, you gotta take, you gotta take a moment to appreciate these things.
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing here is that this is their secret first of its kind command center, but like the, the SSID is unique enough that you could probably go cruise Vegas and find where it was at least like pinpoint where this command center actually was. Yeah. I I mean, there's no very, very true. Yeah. Yeah ops man you know sec ops is hard and uh yeah especially when you're broadcasting live across the you know millions of people yeah whatever that's hilarious man that's good yeah i haven't seen that
0: yeah yeah i I stumbled upon just because andrew retweeted that and i was like oh my god that is that is actually genuinely funny we haven't seen one of those in a while you know when was the last time i think it was like when they showed up was it when that whole 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 oh no uh what was it with Hawaii? Um,
1: was it the? Are you talking about it, like no. the, when when they like? Well, the I think when they tried to do a
0: story about how like you know how the the the, the alert system uh, yeah was was set off accidentally or whatever. yeah. But I think they did a follow up video. The details are a little fuzzy. I feel like they did a follow up video about that whole situation, but they zoomed in on. Like another command and control center for those alerts. And it was like they put in like uh, system passwords and you usernames on the screen or it was on a sticky. I can't remember anymore. Anyways, we talked about it on a podcast years ago when that I'm happened.
1: Sure. Yeah. I'm sure we did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, that's good. Cool. Um, well, maybe let's dive into, should we dive into the Git leaks or get whatever it is? Uh, not Git leak. Is that what it was?
0: Git clear. Oh, Git yeah. get clears. You
1: assessment. want to dive yeah, into I that mean, report? I, I mean, there's a yeah, lot of meat to that. I mean, we can always talk cranky sec, right? If you want to, um, yeah, well, I'm happy to but dive in a little
0: bit, but that that you know, it, okay. very cursory review because it was like, you know, something like 22, so no, 24 pages. Um, so just to give a summary for everybody, the the title the title of this is coding, and I think I put it in both channels. Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. Well, actually, and before I do anything, let me just give credit to where this source came from. It was uh, Juan from our um, Slack channel uh, who actually posted this originally, and mm-hmm. um, the title is "Coding on Copilot." Twenty twenty three data shows downward pressure on code quality. Uh, subtitle 150 million lines of analyzed code plus uh, projections for 2024. So these folks have a lot of, uh, you know, GitClear has a lot of uh, access to Git-related data and code that's changing. Um, They use that to sort of get a feel for, you know, they show, I believe, the last sort of four years. Technically, I guess it's five years in a sense because it's, well... The last four years, and then they give a projection for what they'll see it by the end of 2024. So in 2020, <laughs> some of the big, the big, uh, the big numbers here uh, is that I, I can't tell if this. So this is, you know, some of this, some of this. I, let me just preface all of these numbers with it. Really takes a lot of time to like really dig into these numbers to see how how to, to interpret them right in the sense that you know it's that whole thing we were just talking about it, how like um correlation doesn't equate to causation so yeah. just because we see some code changing and we see uh copy and paste or we see a lot of churn or whatever it's not necessarily a symptom of one thing right like the causation of uh in this case uh being co-pilot. maybe yeah. copilot um yeah. So I, I don't know. I just want to give that like preface there. Uh, so going through here, I think one of the big th- numbers that had stu- stood out to me is that they expected co-churn or a co-churn was something around the percentage of like 3% in 2020. And then um, I thought I'd read, I'm trying to find it, that it they th- projected at 7%, like doubling in 2024. Yeah.
1: I've got it up and, on the screen, that uh chart.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, see, look how easy you make life. Uh yes. No, um, right. So so churn being changes to uh to existing code. Um right. They 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 track things like modifications, deletions, code that's just been uh copied paste uh, copy and pasted. Uh and then they also track um essentially code that has been added within a short period of time, and then also removed, right? So these are kind of the metrics they're basing this off of. If I had to distill a lot of their um, analysis down, I'd say that the idea or their projection as I'm interpreting it is that, you know, if Copilot is writing the code for you, and that code is then removed pretty shortly after being added, And there's lots of changes occurring um, that perhaps that code wasn't the best code to have introduced in the first place. Um, So the idea is that potentially copilots providing um, inaccurate answers, um, maybe code that shouldn't have been written in the first place. Um, I think, man, there's a lot of assertions made and it's really hard to break all this down. you know, one by one, but that, that is in a nutshell, I think if I, if I was to distill it down, that's kind of what's going on here in the report. They're, they're looking at how many changes are occurring, you know, does that affect, how does that impact uh, code quality and why might that be? And in this case, they believe it has to do with co-pilot. And the last thing is um, they made some assertions about, you know, uh, they said something about junior development. Yeah. So, uh, Inexperienced developers continue to be offered. Impl- this is their words. To, uh, inexperienced developers continue to be offered implicit copy-paste suggestions um, via the tab key. The fix for this mm-hmm. situation won't be easy. It's beholden on engineering leader- leaders to monitor incoming data and consider its implications for future product maintenance. Developer analytical tools, including GitClear, can help detect the rate at which problematic code is being seeded specifically questions to evaluate ironically what i assume is going to end up happening and not assume is going to happen what i'm already seeing happen right is one part is ai saying here's some code that you could write that getting into some level of production or into you know the, the deploy branch right and then when that goes up for review or sorry before it gets into the deploy branch as it's being submitted for review, other AI tools are then coming back and giving their thoughts on your code quality and what you could do to improve and summarizing what's changing in the PR for those senior engineers who would be reviewing, by the way. So it is kind of a funny spy versus spy kind of thing, right? Where we're using AI to give the code suggestions and then AI to also detect whether or not AI AI
1: is, yeah.
0: Yeah, at the very least, and help inform and, and uh, give engineers who might be giving that manual code review look, look, see um, some heads up on on what to evaluate. Anyways, that's a lot of me talking, so I'm just pause right there. Uh, hopefully, it was an okay breakdown, and just ask you, yeah. Seth, you know what your thoughts are.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, my big concern is like it's you know it's easy to see that churn is you know. Like increasing, like based on the numbers that they're like, you know, they're dropping in there. Whether or not that's related to Copilot isn't is is it, I'm with you. I'm is what I'm saying. Is like I have a hard time attrib- attributing that to Copilot specifically, um, especially since my own experience with Copilot has been more of um, it hasn't necessarily been churn. It's been like all within the IDE itself, right? Like I I don't have a tendency, and maybe that's just like a maturity thing, and that's you know, hey, I'm not gonna post code that is written specifically like by Copilot without testing it locally first, right? Like that's that 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 feels like a, a natural like process to me. Um, and then on top of that, we've already seen problems with AI detecting, um llm generated content right like anyone who's you know attempted to do that or we've seen it in like the you know the college essay space or whatever it is like you know cheat detection space that the um the ai is very it's not great at detecting what is actually generated by ai or by by llms it's just not right like it's difficult to do and if we're depending on another ai system to do that like it's going to be about as accurate as as it is in that space because it's all just generated creative content it's not necessarily something that's kind of an easy like flag in it that it's hey i was generated by you know github copilot right and and so i basically what I i think i'm coming down to is take it with a grain of salt um yes, like their projections are pretty wild when it comes down to it. Like, oh, all this code's going to be generated by GitHub Copilot and it's going to make things worse for senior developers or developers in general. When on the flip side, my feeling is most developers and senior developers are using Copilot and are seeing efficiencies gained um, and are using it in a uh, in an inherently assistive fashion, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I, honestly, my experience,
0: cause I, you asked a question in Slack about like how many people are using Copilot and I'm, I will be reading uh, to see what people say. I use Copilot. I mean, it was probably almost 1230 in the morning last night or this morning. I, yeah. Whatever, however you want to say it. And um, I was writing code and uh, like, uh copilot recommended something on some something i was working on and uh because i had turned it on for that and uh i was like well first of all it broke my code mm-hmm. and secondly i was looking and i was like this is absolute nonsense um most yeah. of the time it's okay right most of the time it's okay um but yeah i i, I mean like it's not i guess what i'm trying to say is like there's probably something to the fact that like an inexperienced developer is not necessarily, it's good and bad, you know, like get you, I have so many thoughts there because like, I'll just take, let me just take you back to where I began with programming for just a a real quick second. And then we can juxtapose that against the pros and cons of being an inexperienced developer using Copilot. But when I first started programming, um like more seriously like actually trying to build something useful um yeah. i started with god what language i want to say ruby was the first one i tried to do like real sub- i mean i think it maybe java but but really ruby where i enjoyed it and i was like working on a larger project and that was the moment at which you know i realized oh my god like this is this is actually incredibly hard right um you have to fight through the ecosystem package stuff like once you even get your system set up to run that code. And I know that's symptom of Ruby or whatever, but it's, it was the same way for a lot of things back then. I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, that was a long time ago. We're talking 2007, I'm thinking, or 2006, something like, no, 2006 or something. Anyways. Um, so, so anyways, not, not a great ecosystem, but also like in terms of what was available to you, you know, everybody craps on stack overflow, but even back then it was like, you kind of relied on these janky forums that you would, maybe you stumble upon and then maybe get some answers from and it would take a long time. And, you know, you just kind of were like, it was up to people's like goodwill. Uh mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the beginning I got stuck on some pretty basic stuff, frankly. Right. I mean, yeah. stuff that I look back now and I'd be like, Oh wow. How'd you get stuck on that? But you know, back in the day, I mean, like I didn't, you know the the concepts of object oriented programming were a little bit unfamiliar in in a lot of ways in the beginning you know how does a how does a how does an object retain state or change state between you know being declared outside of a loop versus inside of a loop like very basic things right and um so anyways, I'm saying all this because like I could get stuck on a very simple problem for like a day or two back then and just yeah. wait for somebody to help or figure it out myself maybe before someone responds, but that's, that's the state of, so now, now, now let me fast forward to today's world. So you're, you're a junior developer. You're like, you're starting to write some code. It guesses pretty much what you want and boom, you have like, uh, yeah, we'll go with my example. You have an object instantiated outside of the for the, the maybe a for loop or an iteration loop. Um, maybe you make some changes to that object inside of the loop and then it's, uh, used. And then once again, out once the loop's completed outside of it um, and all that's done pretty much for you, you can see how it's supposed to go. It's almost like you're learning a little bit from, if you're brand new to uh, coding anyways, you're kind of learning a little bit, I think. Um, does that mean that that is, that you're, it, and of course, if you're writing code at, at, at that level, you're probably not writing like high level production code. I, I get that. I understand that, but we got to start somewhere. And I don't think it's um, a horrible idea for people who are very, 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 very green to get some level of hey, like this is how you, you could do this, you know. You could also just go to, you know, Perplexity Labs or uh, OpenAI slash chat You could go to any, you know, uh, Deep Infra has different LLMs you can use for free uh, that are like not open AI. And uh, you can play around and get some, some, some questions answered really easily there, too. I think the world is uh, in a very different state. What I would say, though, is like, if you're hiring someone who's so inexperienced, though, that they're using Copilot to train themselves, um, and you're not doing a lot of pairing with them, you're not doing a lot of check-ins, you're not you know really scrutinizing their code and helping them become the developer that they can be, and you're just relying on Copilot, yeah, of course, you're going to have a lot of issues. I mean, that's just common sense. I don't think anybody with... With the brain would be uh with a functioning brain would be like too surprised by that uh so I don't know man I don't know what the the outcome of all this rambling is I just think like it's not a bad tool if you're brand new to the thing it's not a bad tool if you're pretty well versed with programming because you'll be able to say like ah, oh, that's not right so, I, I don't know it's yeah. just, I think there's a lot of what I do think is there's a lot of psychology to the use and the the proper well i don't know proper use but the usage of llms the right times to use them i think it i think there will be a lot of behavioral studies that come out over time uh, that enlighten us on on whether or not it's had or what i don't think it's black and white positive or negative i think it's just you know pros and cons and anyways i have
1: rambled a lot so i'll shut up now <laughs> no i i mean i I think you're making good points in there, right? Like I, I kind of go back. So the block that I've got up here, like more copy pasted code implies future headaches. I'm like, eh, is it really more, right? Like, you know, junior devs used to just go to Stack Overflow to pull this same stuff, right? Um, and if if anything, it's probably more appropriate uh, coming from, Copilot than it was from Stack Overflow. At least like some of the, you know, the things that they would normally get stuck on, maybe they get past that quicker. It will create f- future headaches, but if you're that concerned, right? Like at some point, you are giving that junior dev access to Copilot, right? Like it's part of your GitHub subscription, whatever it is if you're that concerned maybe you should be overlaying your own security requirements your own like coding requirements on top of what copilot would recommend right like you know use the tool to be to enhance what the junior developers are actually getting as opposed to complaining and then like bemoaning the fact that they are using something to improve their lives right like the the, the junior devs that dive in and are going to be starting to use tools like copilot Those are the ones that you want in the future, right? Like you always want the guy that's going to automate himself out of a job because he's going to figure out the most efficient way to actually create that code to, you know, to get, to make you more efficient, like all those sorts of things. And so I just, I don't know if it's going to lead to more future headaches, right? Like we're always going to have headaches when it comes to coding. Like AI is not going to change that. It hasn't changed that. So, yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. We, we will have more to... code.
0: We we probably will have more code. I Actually, that's the one takeaway I did kind of, a, like, really agree with is that I do think there will be more code yeah. out there just in the wild, which is, you know, I tell my son this because he's, you know, my son's uh, 11. Uh, you know this, obviously. I'm just telling everybody else. And I tell him all the time, like, you know, I really do believe that programming isn't like something that, you know technical people or software engineers or hackers, whoever should learn. I I do believe that it's the language of the future. Um, Being proficient in programming is, to me, going to become a very like, I've never felt like it's that special. I'm going to be honest with you. I think good, good programming is special when you build things that are just very, very cool and like run really well and do something unique. Yeah, that's special but on the whole most of us are just writing yeah. software you know it's, it, and it, it's uh,
1: utility. it's utility
0: yeah yeah it's utility exactly it's like it's like saying cuz i have this bucket of tools right here right it's like saying well i'm i'm not you know hey listen i'm not a repair repair person so i can't go you know patch some drywall or, or i can't you know i don't know um change out some ceiling fans or whatever it's like no of course you can you can you can do that so um I don't feel like programming is that special to the point where you know it, it's it's a thing that most people uh couldn't just learn as like a fundamental school. I'm not saying skill, I'm not saying be great at it. I am saying just learn it um and make, make some use out of it. So then with with the LLMs, you know, kind of supercharging everything, yeah. I definitely think there's gonna be a lot more code out there.
1: Yeah. And I will say this about my learnings
0: with LLMs. Um, yeah, they're not, I mean, it feels it feels uh, so, because one of the things too is like that they'll they'll over. I think there was an assertion too that like over time, um, uh, the actual LMs perform worse. They're training on because I've heard this argument a lot, which is not really that crazy when you hear it. Which is, you know, LMs get trained on the world's data. If the world's data is being um, built by AI, then it's a kind of a, a circular. Yeah, it's
1: a feedback sort of, loop.
0: Yep. Right. Um, so that actually makes a lot of sense to me in 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 a sense for sure um
1: well I, but I it's mean, not magic
0: it, it is very very uh so you know very easy and uh, not easy to understand but once you once you kind of understand the probabilistic nature of llms and you start to understand like where's their value and like how to use them and really what discrete tasks to use them for things get a, a quite a bit clearer um when you throw like large problem sets and you know you're kind of figuring it out and it, it does seem a bit magical in the beginning um and after a while it just becomes you said utility right like yeah it's just a utility like anything else
1: yeah yeah i, I mean it doesn't take away from those that are like so talented at it that it is all it it, it, be, it does become somewhat of an art form right um naturally assumed uh i was going to say most of us are going to write shit code
0: (laughs) i'm gonna put that on because i I literally lol that on that one so
1: yeah usually i
0: mean most of us do write shit code it's fine uh yeah 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 i like that the, the entry to barrier for programming has been yeah exactly lowering i do i think uh i think it's only a net net win for for us um Obviously, you know, from an absec perspective it's great <laughs> from a business perspective <laughs> From a business
1: perspective, yes. <laughs> well, and I like I've gone back and forth like you know, um I posted you some code snippets yesterday, right? Like on a, a recent assessment that we were doing. Oh, I didn't get and, to see. Yeah, I saw I didn't check yeah. Uh, um and it was so basically um it's it's kind of a combo mass assignment slash lack of Authorization, like failed authorization checks, right? That go into this, um, the ability to escalate your privileges within within this application, and what it came down to, and, and again, this goes back to like, oh, we're just like, you know, utilizing ugh. patterns and not necessarily understanding what the patterns are, um, but you know, it was a whole bunch of like and statements of like, oh, this is the uh, user's you know, role. This is it. This oh, but what if they're this or what if they're this? And it's, it's like this stringed long like ands and or statements. And what it came down to was, oh, I'm able to change my own role because my ID matches up with my ID in the database, right? Like, and as long as that was true, it didn't matter what all the rest of the rules were because of the way that they've been structured. Um, and... <sighs> Yeah, like I'm going to do a blog post on it at some point, right? Because it was just, it was fascinating to to talk to the developers and see. And the way that they had gone about it was they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to do this one check. All right, well, I'll end it with this other check. And I'll end it with this other check. And I'll end it with this other check, not realizing that they were like just negating themselves over and over, right? Like it was just this, <sighs> yeah, and it's, this, I, this is... I don't yeah. want to pump up my my own product.
0: That's not why I'm saying this. I am saying if you if you've ever read uh our contextual contextual security analysis and seen the slide factors, one of them is literally if it's an authorization related mechanism or authentication and has overly uh well, we consider it brittle, but it's overly long um operators like this and case statements like this. Because the second I pulled it up when you mentioned it. Immediately, I was like, oh, God. Yeah, you see, like, exactly this. This is what ticks me off. Is like, you can't have, like, if the role not equals this, and, and, or this, and, and that, and, and, and think that that's not, that's going to, that just drives me nuts. It just drives me nuts. It's it's a clearest sign for where there's going to be an authorization or authentication-related nope. flaw. I know, I know. It's the easiest and metric you easy. have for, it like, you, you don't even complexity. need, you can yeah. just par- parse through code. Yeah, have, have LLMs iterate over through or use even, you don't even need to use it at all. And there's plenty of complexity tools out there for command line, run that. And then cross-reference, if any of that has to do with authorization and boom, you're probably going to find a really bad authorization flaw almost every time. It's well, th- it's and not if predictable. This was it,
1: like this, uh, so, okay. So I did like info gathering, like really quickly. It's not a very large application, right? Like we're like, okay, Crocs and Socks, authorization, authentication, auditing, right? Like, okay, so I pull up like the login um and the like this was the authorization on like the um oh sign up uh oh no new use new account creation right like you know somebody's creating a new account putting a user in and I find this statement the instant that I saw like this complexity I was like nope this is gonna be it it was honestly within 20 minutes of of you know seeing it I had a fully working exploit and I had become like basically a super administrator on the site. Like it was just, it was that quickly. Um, And I like, and that's not necessarily to toot my own horn because it was like I had access to this code. And it's very easy to see when those sorts of failures. And and again, like it goes back, we talk about the gut checks that we have or the gut instincts. The second that we see that complexity, and that's what we're trying to build into the LLMs, right? Is that, or into the AI, is as soon as we see that complexity, man, like, I just I go straight with you, right? Like I'm it's it's going to be an issue. And in this case it was, right? Like I I didn't have to try all that hard to do basically my job because of it. And granted like we're going to improve things, I'm already working with the developers, we're talking about it. Um uh, but the fact that it only took and you know the the other guys on our team, right? Like they can attest to it. Like we it was only yeah, half an hour between discovery to fully, explo- fully exploited, right?
0: Dude, I mean, reading that, I'm just like, never build an authorization function that looks like that. And I'm not trying to like, I mean, that's just, I wish we could, we'll have to uh, sanitize this and, and put it in the, the course. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cause the example is great. Right. Like sanitized I, yeah. version
0: on the podcast. Cause like people can't understand why we're sitting here like, Ooh, this looks like vomit. Like you can't have a bunch of just imagine. Yeah. A lot of ifs ands, but also doing this on one line, right? Yeah. If, if you have this many evaluate, evaluating operators on one line, you are about, I mean, almost guaranteed to have a flaw somewhere. Cause somebody, if if not at the moment that you write it a hundred percent later, when someone goes to change it and doesn't understand like the or, or the and or the not equals or the whatever here is, is going to have a major, major
1: impact on whether or not it works. So man. Yeah. Wow. Just, it was, it was, it it was super fun all around. (laughs) Cause I I went, I went back to my, like, you know, uh, my like uh, computer science days. Because I was like, crap, like, I don't understand what all these ands and ors are doing in this statement. And so I was actually building out, like, one of the logical and or gates to try and figure out why it was working, right? Like, why the exploit was actually there. Because they went and they threw, of course, like, the first pass. And I think I I shared that with you, too. But the first pass of the developers to mitigate it was just to add another statement to the list, right? Like, of, you know, five or six different ands that were all being... Um, you know, cross-referenced together. And of course it didn't fix it because of, you know, again, they didn't understand what it was either. Right. Like, you know, it's, so you make things too complex and you always leave the edge cases. Right. Um, and, you know, we live in the edge cases when we're trying to do exploitation. So that's where, that's where uh, these sites get exploited. That's where stuff gets exposed. It's, you know, the more complex that we make it and it's difficult to understand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, It's very tough. It's very, it's very tough to even as a reviewer, even make heads or tails of these things. You're like, what is it even doing? And actually I remember I've told the story, I think on the podcast before, but I remember um, at GitHub, we had this weird, weird, weird logical flaw and Jason White and I sat down looking at it and we were just like, now, mind you, we had to parse through various abstractions, so it's not like you know we just had one. But we were like, when we got down to what we were, we knew should be the issue. We're like, we cannot figure out what this, what's going on here. And um, Jason had the idea, which is very uh, basic and very smart at the same time. Sometimes the best solutions are the basic ones. He goes, "Let's just because uh, it was, it was a very, I mean, dude, if I had to print it out, it'd be like this long of a of a logical check." For an authorization thing so he's like well let's just just let's just uh hit enter on each operator and just split it multi-line so visually i mean visually this can actually make some level of sense we did that and the second we did that we realized oh my god like it's very clear they did all these checks and at the end they put like or you know, if this thing's missing, then just don't, just ignore it all or something like that. It was, Or it was like, if the object, if we hadn't provided a parameter or, or I'm making stuff up, you know, then that object wouldn't exist or it would be nil or something like that. And so everything else that came before it was completely, you know, void and invalid. And it wasn't until we like visually broke that up as human beings that we could understand what exactly was going on wrong. And, uh, just a lesson that I carry with me to this day, uh, about, overly complex case operators and overly long and op- uh, yep. evaluations like that on single especially on single lines
1: yeah i mean honestly like if you have to put like multi-line comments in front of an authorization check to explain what's going on it's probably too complex um right i i just in general um like if you can't understand what the check actually does within the context of the code itself, like not only are you like not doing descriptive coding but it's probably got an edge case in there that somebody can bypass so um, yep. yeah yeah yep, yep. fun days, yes, cool. all right, well, we got a couple minutes left um, yeah. We, are you done talking about Copilot? you have anything else there you want to bring up? I know people are you know, jumping in on whether or not they actually use it. I think there's a fair number of us that do, though, that are in Slack.
0: Let's go over and see what what, uh, what people said here with that, because I am curious what uh, other, other people's thoughts are. Um, I know my developers are giving us feedback, giving me feedback um, on the things we are allowed to use with it, that uh, it's... It's actually visually distracting. I think I've said this before. It's actually uh one of their biggest Sometimes. things is just that it's yeah, it's kind of like it's so in your face that and I actually experience this too occasionally where you know it's like I'm trying to write code and it's just filling up my IDE with so much noise. Actually, you know, in that that get clear in that get clear uh article, that was another thing I actually agree with that they they said um or that they mentioned is that you know, it's it's a bit it's a bit of uh, it's a lot because you've got um you've got these co-pilot suggestions, but you also have, you know, if you if you're using and I don't know like uh IntelliJ all that well, but I guess if you're using that, it gives you, you know, just like every other ID ID, it's got plugins that has like things that it recommends. Um so what you end up with, and I have seen this with VS Code as well as well, where I've got multiple things trying to overlay, like you know, here's what GitLens lens said that this, that where this yeah. came from. And here's where our or Copilot saying to do this. And, you know, maybe there's another, like, uh, like for some of my Python stuff, I've got this Python parser thing that gives me, you know, notifications as well. So I end up like literally not being able to write code because my IDE is so jumbled up with shit. So I actually
1: saw that in the article and chuckled because I'm like, yeah, I've definitely experienced that myself. Yeah. Uh, well, and I wonder, I mean, part of it too, right? Like, Um, sometimes like it'll recommend things and then I like start to question, wait, what is it that I was actually doing here? Right. Like, and you know, it can take you out of your flow um, as far as like programming and what you're trying to actually create, because it has an idea of what the, what you, what would come next. Right. Um, And so I get pretty, I pretty regularly hit escape where I'm doing I'm ignoring like what is coming out of Copilot. Um, and I, I could see where a junior developer would get sidetracked pretty easily to using what copilot suggests as opposed to actually writing their own code. What the sh dude. Oh what's wrong? What?
0: Hold on. Hold on. Am I mixing things up? Uh, so I, cause I just saw the visual studio for Mac will no longer be supported after August 31st, 2024. Cause sorry, uh, I should back up. I saw the message in Slack from Brandon, uh, I, I believe that's the correct name, uh, about, uh, yeah. So VS for Mac is end of life killed. I saw that. I was like, what? And so I didn't realize that it's, that's interesting. Um, I've never used I, uh, IntelliJ Visual Watch. Sorry, I, yeah, I know. It's probably very like weird for people that are just listening and aren't watching Slack and uh Yeah. So you can ignore me. I just this has actually caught me off guard a little bit. I didn't know that was happening. Um Visual Studio for Mac is scheduled for retirement by August 31st, 2024, in accordance with Microsoft's uh Visual Studio for Mac seems to be sorted until it what's sourcing? interesting. Okay, yeah, i was just curious um, about that. But so I, I, anyways, it seems like everybody else uh, on that thread uh, was mentioning IntelliJ and, uh, well, uh, yeah, IntelliJ, um, using that as an alternative. To, uh, as
1: an alternative. Uh, I mean, yeah. Visual Studio, though, but that doesn't mean VS Code, right? That just, no, no, it's the same. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not the same. It's just the full Visual Studio, yeah. Uh, which, I, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm not... I'm not overly, yeah. I don't know. Like I've used Visual Studio on Mac on the in the past, but I have like, it's yeah, it's not the same, right? Like you know, so yeah, whatever, right? Like I guess for the people that are programming on the Mac, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, cool. <laughs> I see,
0: secretly, still work for GitHub. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, probably in my heart I do I don't I still love GitHub. Um but yeah, so this is interesting. I didn't realize. So yeah, Cop yeah, Copilot with uh with Ruby mine, Copilot with Neovim plugin. Um yeah, and I didn't see this this Linus uh, Torvalds um
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to go watch about... it. It's yeah, only I mean a... it's it's only 5 minutes but we'll have to go watch it and then comment on it cuz I, you know, It'd be interesting to see what his take is. let me um, put the link um, in
0: um on you on our YouTube chat so that people can it's already in slack um
1: but uh and actually you know what yeah. just just so that it's is there um, highlight it that's from Eli there in the slack he dropped it into the discussion on whether we're using it right whether we're using right. copilot
0: sweet yeah i just or it's gonna paste here in a second yeah so that's interesting yeah i'd definitely like to see what his thoughts are i mean obviously linus is usually pretty uh polarizing in any opinion that he has uh so we'll we'll see how it goes (laughs) That's the nicest way i could say that
1: (laughs) sweet yeah i I mean i know we had different articles today i think we're about um we're going to wrap it up here though shortly uh jump in and you know have some comments there's a there are a couple of things that ken where i and i were bringing up as future topics one of them is use of daniel Meisler's fabric um, ai tool like that has a bunch of prompts that are pre-created for different um, for different purposes, I, I wanted to play with it first, though before we commented too much on it. Maybe we'll demo that one as it's coming up. There's also the articles from Cranky Sec. If you haven't seen those, they've been flown flying around all the different, you know, um, infosec Slack. Yeah, what's and the di- channels?
0: Can you can you break me? Because like I, uh, yeah, actually, real quick, do you mind? giving a uh, cliff notes on the cranky sex stuff. Like I, is this just a person Uh, who's like, uh, I'm just like, I'm tired of stupid CISOs
1: or something like that. Did we, did we talk about it on the last episode? I can't really remember. Not really. I think it came up or it was one of the items that are on, that was on our list. Right. Um, But I think we spent more time talking about, I'm not a pen tester and you might not want to be one either, which of course, as well there is a part two there it's been discussed in the slack channel um a fair bit eric Cabetas had you know some comments on it as well um but you should go read that one cranky sec to me feels like uh, uh somebody that's been in the industry that's fairly jaded as far as like working as an individual contributor for different organizations um and you know has a realistic take on what they're seeing in various places, right? Like the, the way that people are actually implementing security or pretending to implement security um, in organizations where, hey, we don't necessarily, like they pay lip service to it, but they don't actually secure things, right? Um, and so it's a, like, it, it's kind of a nihilistic take on, man, everything's the worst, but it's entertaining if you're in one of those positions, right? Um, because it, we all need support. We need to be able to vent about what we're seeing and what actually is not being done. And so it's not the, it, it, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing because it's a, it's spurring an actual conversation about you know, what actual security is in organizations. Um, but it has like a very like kind of nihilistic bent to it, right? Like similar to what we get when we we start talking about things with Stefan, right? Like uh, with logical um, you know, at times it just you know it descends into everything's the worst, and you know uh, what can we actually do to change it? Um, but it's entertaining, right? Like that's why, like it's kind of like an anonymous entertainment value that comes out of that. I guess I will be- say this:
0: yes, I love. I want to preface this with I love Red Teamers. I managed uh, some at uh, at GitHub, although they really just manage themselves. I'll be honest. They'd- they're really good at what they do, um, but they are some of the crankiest mofo's I've ever met in my life. They seriously are, and I and I have a I think I understand why after like you know being a manager over a team like that, which is you know like you they give a lot of good recommendations and actually uncover some really scary stuff, um, and then they hand those things over to to to, to teams and to developers. And you know engineering leaders and what what have you, and oftentimes they're put. They they have to. It's almost like how do I say it? it's like it's like you coming in as like a highly skilled trade person. You give an estimate and quote for what needs to be done. Um, or and you tell somebody, hey, by the way, if I don't fix that beam, um, your house is going to collapse on you. So you know just letting you know like you paid me money to come here and do an evaluation and uh, telling you that's what's going to happen and then being like "Ah, I don't I don't really agree with you and you're like oh okay what's your trade person background skill set and they're like well no I don't do I don't do that but like I don't agree with you you know what I mean like that would get very frustrating very quickly for me so I do I do get that I also get that uh you know things get deprioritized when, when they really shouldn't be. Um, I just feel like they have to advocate a lot for the things they do, which is, you know, and it wasn't like any, like at GitHub, that was actually a better culture, I think, um, for them. But when you, I guess what I'm trying to say is when you see how bad things structurally are, when you see all the like, the corner cases of how dangerous, like how badly things could go, doesn't mean they ever will go that way, but how they, you know, could go. And then you you get a lot of like well I don't know I don't know if I agree with that or like you really you're gonna really need to like explain that in a way that a better way or you know I how do we get this like or or you know hey by the way this stuff sure it's backlog we agree with you we've gotten to that point we're all on the same page but hey by the way we're releasing a new feature very similar to the thing that was bad before with all the same stuff and it's like and um, the same people who created the last problems are also working on this new thing so could you go ahead and just hop on those calls and figure it out and make sure it's good to ship yeah it's like yeah i get why that's pretty frustrating i'd be pretty damn cranky so anyways that's my way of saying like i love you red teamers you're great hang in there but y'all need to like take more vacations or something because you get really <laughs> pissed off really easily
1: well i i mean one of the posts that um whoever it is, like Cranky said, Sec actually put together was like, we also suck, you know, right? Like, yeah. which is, you know, turning it on themselves as or, you know, as far as, right, like, hey, like as an industry, like we don't know how to measure risk. We don't do that well. Like there's all sorts of things that, you know, yes, we pointed out like, and we're complaining about the seesaws on this, this level, but we also aren't giving them data that they actually need. And so it, it's a good, like, poking fun at you know the industry as a whole but also ourselves like I, I mean it's entertaining right and the discord has taken off apparently as well um you know I, I know i think it was larry or somebody like that on our slack channel was saying they had jumped into it and it's kind of a crazy place so yeah i mean take it all with a grain of salt right like you know when it comes down to it you know it's not that deep right it's uh yeah it's not that deep it's no. meant to be entertaining so yeah yeah, um,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, anyways, I, yeah, yeah, Good. hang in, yeah, hang in there, um, all said with love, I think, ultimately, if you can't find a little laughter and humor in the security industry as a whole, uh, or life, you know, it's gonna be really hard to, to function, there's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, like, there's a lot of things to have fun with, and guess what, I can't wait till the summer, when we all get to hang out in, in Vegas, and, and, uh, and, Yes. Complain about it or laugh <laughs> or about, or about it or
1: whatever you want to do. Whatever it is. Yep. But if you are going to be at, in Phoenix this week, come complain about it there, right? I'd love to see you. Um, we have the invite leak. We will drop it in again. Um, please RSVP and show up. We, we are giving away some Crocs and some socks um, at the event um, because apparently that's what we do now. Right? So uh, yes, I am, I am I'm finally getting some dope swag. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so come check that out. And that then
0: I may take years to to come to to make something
1: happen. We said we we're going to do, but,
0: <laughs> but we do we eventually
1: do get there. <laughs> We do eventually get there. <laughs> Sweet. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining today. Uh, we'll catch you all online and yeah. See you then. Thank you.